Good day, Grace Orange. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. What a privilege we have to open up God's Word and trust the Spirit of God to change us as we are exposed to it. Today we get to open up Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 48 together, the whole chapter. I know we usually stand for the reading of Scripture, but I'm going to ask you to stay seated. This is a passage that is chock full of God's sovereign goodness and grace. I've entitled this sermon, A Vision and a Voice Up on a Roof. And what we see is that God speaks to a Gentile. Then God speaks to a Jew. And then God brings Gentile and Jew together in Christ. Now this passage speaks to two common problems plaguing Christians. The first is, we don't always know what God wants us to do. The second is, when we find out, we don't always want to do it. The big idea of this passage is that God wants to free us from sinful exclusion so that we would lovingly serve the gospel to all without reservation. I'm going to read Acts 10, 1 through 48, whole chapter, and this is the word of God. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open. And something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. 
Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once. And you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. And made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people. And to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Then they asked him to remain for some days. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken and that you have spoken truth we need. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to what you have for us in your word today. For your glory, in Christ's name, amen. The conversion of Gentile Cornelius and his household is a momentous turning point for the early church. God uses Jews to open the door for the gospel to the Gentiles whom they didn't want to reach. Now we all know that overcoming exclusivity is a tough task. It's a recurring issue in our own hearts popping up again and again due to our sin nature. Due to our propensity to profile and to be prejudiced towards people. And what God wants us to understand today is that his ways in welcoming all who believe are different than ours. And he wants us to lovingly serve the gospel to to everyone. Because the gospel is to go to everyone. We all know that barriers to the gospel are hard to break, hard to break through. God wants to free you from sinful exclusivity so that you would serve the gospel to all without reserve. Immediate background of this passage is Aeneas and Dorcas being walking billboards to testify to God's grace in Christ power of Jesus to heal and save is on full display people are coming to faith in Christ left and right but it's mainly a Jewish crowd doing Jewish things following a Jewish savior and God is now going to shake things up anyone too comfortable is put on notice that Christ's church is not your father's Judaism with a twist it's a new creation in Christ Old things have passed away, new things have come, new family, new identity, and a Lord who, as we shall see, and as we know by our own experience, calls the shots perfectly. The passage breaks down like this. First, verses 1 through 8, God speaks to a Gentile. He's getting him ready to hear the gospel. Secondly, verses 9 through 23, God speaks to a Jew, getting him ready to preach the gospel. And then third, verses 24 to 48, God brings Jew and Gentile together in Christ, together in the gospel. First, God speaks to a Gentile. He prepares Cornelius to hear the gospel. Cornelius is not the first Gentile saved. In chapter 6, verse 5, there's a Gentile proselyte who's saved. Chapter 8, we've got the Ethiopian Gentile. And we've also got in chapter 8 some, some people that, that Philip preached the gospel to that become followers of Christ. They were Gentiles. But this is very unique. And, and why it's such a momentous turning point for the church is because the apostle Peter is involved. The recognized leader in the church apostolic confirmation that the gospel is to go to the Gentiles to all nations probably happened between 
A.D. 39 and 40, 10 years after Jesus' resurrection, seven years after Paul's conversion. And it happened in a notable place. It happened in Caesarea, major seaport 60 miles northwest of Jerusalem, political capital of Judea, home to the Roman governors. It was a city that Herod the Great built in 23 B.C. on 35 acres of what was formerly known as Stratos Tower, a city used to stand there. The population was over 50,000 people. Caesarea had the first artificial harbor in the world. It was a notable place. And the city had great significance for Christianity. It was the place, obviously, here where God brought Jew and Gentile together in Christ. Notable also because it was where Origen in A.D. 185 to 254 and Eusebius, A.D. 260 to 340, lived and taught. So significant for Christianity. But for the Jews, Caesarea would become a place of immense pain. About 25 years later, after this, uh, in the Jewish War of AD 66, the Gentile citizens of Caesarea rose up and killed almost all the Jews in Caesarea. A painful place for them. Cornelius is there in Caesarea. He's living there. His family is with him. He had been there long enough to gain a reputation for doing generous deeds toward the Jews. Cornelius is a common Latin name, and he was a fairly wealthy man of status living in this beautiful city. And he's a centurion of the Italian battalion, the Italian cohort centurions were the professional officers in the roman army commanded men they were they were paid a lot they were paid 16 times the normal military salary they had roman citizenship so they had status and they were known as strong men ready to die at their posts strong steady men verse 2 tells us about Cornelius, that he's devout, that he fears God with his household, that he, he led his household to fear God, that he gave generously and that he prayed a lot. So we know that he turned his back on the military and the Roman false gods. He embraced the one true God as the object of his devotion. He attached himself to the synagogue. He had not become a full proselyte to Judaism. He shared his wealth with those in need in the Jewish community. And he prayed regularly. Verse 3 tells us that at the ninth hour, which was a Jewish time of prayer, he sees a vision. An angel visits him and calls him by name, Cornelius. He's terrified. You would be too. He's thinking, what did I do? (laughs) He stares at him. He's terrified. He says, what's up? What did I do? And the angel says, Relax, God likes you. Your prayers and your generosity please God, so you're not dying today. Your prayers have risen to God. It's like Leviticus 2.2, like the smoke of a burnt offering ascending to God. His prayers were pleasing to God. The psalmist said in Psalm 141, verse 2, may my prayer be set before you like incense. God receives this Gentile Cornelius' prayer and his giving. And the angel says to him, you need to send to Joppa, 
and get Peter. Joppa's 30 miles south of Caesarea. And then the angel leaves. And so he sends two servants and a soldier to Joppa. That's the first part of this passage. God speaks to a Gentile, gets him ready to hear the gospel. Now we move on to the second part where God speaks to a Jew, prepares Peter to preach the gospel. Verse 9, the next day, the contingent from from Cornelius is on their way to Joppa, and meanwhile in Joppa, Peter goes up on the roof around noontime to pray. It's the sixth hour, it's noontime. What that tells us is the first Christians prayed a lot. That should teach us something. Homes in that day had flat roofs with access from an outdoor stairway. And it was common to sit up there, especially in the summer, maybe get a cool breeze. And Peter probably goes up to pray privately. And he's hungry. He wants to eat. So food is being prepared for him. And while that happens, he falls into a trance. And just like Stephen did in chapter 7, he sees the heavens opened. God is now going to give him a message. And what he sees is a huge sheet descending out of heaven like a linen cloth, like sails of a ship, and it's suspended by its four corners. And it's filled with all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. If you're a hunter, you're like, let's go. Hunting time. But this huge sheet descends and in that in that sheet were animals that Peter wasn't supposed to eat. Israelites were prohibited from eating certain animals. The four basic rules detailed in Leviticus 11. Um, land animals had to both chew the cud and have split hoof. Sea creatures had to have fins and scales. Winged insects, and I don't know who's going to want to be eating those, but winged insects had to have jointed legs to hop. You know, grasshoppers and the like, I guess, right? Birds of prey, reptiles, and other crawlers. Are you getting a little jittery, a little itchy here? You're raising your feet off the ground here? Other crawlers were off limits. Okay? They, they, they weren't supposed to eat those. Here's amongst the animals that the Jews weren't supposed to eat. Camels. I got one right here. From Jordan, Kelsey, thank you. Who wants a camel? Who wants one? Okay, it'll be right up there for you. Giving away camels. I was going to bite its head off, and I thought, no, let's not do that today. Jews were not supposed to eat camels. Who wants to anyway? I don't know. Rabbits were off limits. Those are good eating. Pigs were off limit. I mean, ham, carnitas, bacon, couldn't eat it. Eagles were off limits, and they're off limits to you as well. Vultures, owls, weasels, rats, and lizards you could not eat. I used to shoot lizards when I was a kid with my BB gun. These are the kind of animals that he wasn't supposed to eat, and they were in the, the sheet that was being, you know, descending from heaven. And then he hears a voice. Verse 13, here's the voice. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Like, you've got a hunting license. You can do this. And Peter says, oh, no, I won't. I have never eaten anything unclean. I'm an observant Jew. 
Leviticus 11, verse 43. God said, Do not defile yourself by any of these creatures or make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. We are not told the specific reason why God says you can't eat these animals. But here's what we're told. God says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. There's your answer for why they weren't supposed to eat those animals because God said not to. Teaches us something else. We need to obey God's word. Now there were some Jews that preferred death over eating unclean food. In the Maccabean period, Antiochus Epiphanes commanded everyone, including the Jews, to sacrifice pigs and unclean animals and then eat them. Many in Israel resolved not to eat the food. They chose rather to die than be defiled, and many of them did. They died. Verse 15 tells us the voice speaks another time, second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And God is smashing the barrier, the, one of the biggest barriers separating Jews and Gentiles. Now, Jesus had already declared all foods clean. Mark chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean, because it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. And then parenthetically, the scriptures tell us, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus is basically telling them, sinful thoughts and actions are what make you unclean. That's what defiles you, not what you eat. Mark 7, 20, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And Jesus says all these evils come from inside and make you unclean. So the distinction for Peter is that there is no longer any distinction between clean and unclean animals. It no longer applies. Peter can now eat rabbit stew, carnitas, and uh, lizard etouffee anytime he wants. It's freeing, right? But this is not what God is getting at. Verse 16 tells us three times this happens, and then the sheet is taken up back into heaven, back into the sky. And what God is telling Peter is, hey, buddy, you need to listen up. You need to listen to what I'm saying because this goes way beyond food. Peter is pondering the vision. The vision's gone, and he's thinking about it. And I love God's timing. He's so perfect in his timing. At that very moment that he's thinking about it, Cornelius' men show up. They're right there at the door. And the Spirit speaks to Peter. Verse 19, Go with them without hesitation. There's some Gentiles looking for you. You go. And what we see here is that God orchestrates this entire chain of events. He orchestrates the entire chain of events. The Spirit is guiding, and then Peter speaks to him. He says, why have you come? He still doesn't know why they've come, and they start by giving Cornelius' credentials. Hey, he's a centurion. He's upright. He's God-fearing. He's liked by the Jews. 
he's living as an observant Jew would be by obeying the law. And then they say, he heard from an angel that he was supposed to go and get you. So Peter invites him in for the night. Verse 23 tells us that. That was not off limits. That was not unlawful. It was looked down upon. But there's a bigger test coming for Peter. Entering the home of a Gentile. That was off limits. So the next day he gets up. They get up. They eat breakfast, whatever. And he goes with them. And we know by chapter 11, verse 12, when he's retelling the story, that he brings six Jewish believers with him. So there's a contingent of seven plus the three that Cornelius sent. And now this, these six believers are going to see everything that happens. They'll be able to vouch for Peter's story later on. That's the second part of this passage. God speaks to a Jew. God gets the Jew ready to preach the gospel. And then third, God's now going to bring Gentile and Jew together in Christ's church. Unites them in the gospel, verses 24 to 48. So the next day they get to Caesarea. They got this 30-mile hike they're going on. And Cornelius, they find out, has invited all his family and friends. The house is full. And, and verse 25 tells us Peter goes into the house. This is huge. It's not like you're just going to your friend's house. He's going into a Gentile's house. He had never been in a Gentile's house in his entire life. The Mishnah, which is the written version of the oral Torah, said the dwelling places of Gentiles are unclean. You don't go there. Another writer said all the ways of the Gentiles are contaminated and despicable and abominable. Staying away. Now, what Peter does here. Is, is a major, major error in the mind of the Jerusalem church. We're going to find that out when we get into chapter 11. But it is a leap of faith for Peter. It is a shocker to the Gentiles. Because God had prepared both groups for this encounter. God had prepared their hearts. Peter goes into Cornelius' house. What does Cornelius do when he sees him? He falls at his feet and he worships him. Now, when you prostrate yourself before someone in that culture you are showing respect but peter says get up i'm a man too i'm i'm like you so that tells us that probably cornelius thought that peter was an angel peter goes in the house and he sees all these people that cornelius has invited like a big group of people it's a big party and and if you want to win friends and influence people just start like peter did here's what he says I really don't want to be here. I'm not supposed to be with you, people. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm breaking the law. Here's what he's saying. I'm not supposed to be here, but I am supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here, but I am supposed to be here. Here is hyper-careful Peter. All his life did the right thing and, and his Jewish friends, and they must have been so torn. Their consciences must have been really in turmoil. But God is directing them. Legalistic people in the church are going to take issue with him very soon for what he's doing here. But he says in verse 48, God has shown me something. 
I am not to call anyone impure or unclean. He's telling these Gentiles, I've been calling you impure and unclean my whole life. And God shows me I'm wrong. Ezekiel 36, God says, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you're going to be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And what Peter is realizing right here is that that applies to all who come to faith in Christ, not just Jews who come to faith in Christ. And so he says to them, I came without objection. God has shown me this, but why did you send for me? What do you want? Cornelius retells his story. Four days ago, I'm praying, an angel appears, uh, says uh, God is pleased with you, he likes your prayers, he likes how you've been generous, send to Joppa for Peter. And, And Cornelius basically says, thank you for your kindness in coming, now what do you have to tell us? And he says, we want to hear what God wants you to say. Now I called... Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, the biggest alley-oop in gospel preaching history. And I'm thinking that this ranks right up there. There's a huge gospel open door that God creates. And, And so Peter starts talking. Verse 34, here's how he starts. I get it now. I understand. God doesn't play favorites. Now that's not a new idea. God opened Peter's heart to this idea, but it wasn't a new idea. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, God, the mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. But like many Jews, Peter had lost sight of this. And so he says, here's what I've figured out. Here's what God has shown me, that in every nation, In every nation, all who fear God and who do what is right are accepted by him. The right thing to do here is believe in the Lord Jesus. Cornelius needs Jesus. So he tells him about the work of Jesus and forgiveness of sins through Jesus' name. He starts, verse 36, he goes, you know the message. Cornelius and his friends and guests and family, they know about Jesus. This was not a secret thing in those days, in, the, in those parts. He, and he says that God is preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And the gospel message is one of peace with God through the finished work of Christ on the cross and shedding his blood in our place. And Isaiah 57, 19 says, peace, peace to those who are far and those who are near. And, and that's about Jew and Gentile coming, coming and being one in Christ. Peter actually had referred to that verse on his, in his sermon on Pentecost. The prophets had foretold peace, this shalom, the Hebrew word shalom. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who, who proclaim salvation. This Hebrew idea of peace, this, this shalom, goes way beyond the ceasing of strife or the ending of a war. Shalom This peace is a total sense of well-being and fulfillment because God has made you right with him through Christ. And so I 
Paul says, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says he's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of all. If anyone is saved, it's through Jesus. He's the only way to be saved. The only Lord. And he says, you know what happened? God anointed Jesus. Isaiah 61. Jesus read this in the synagogue at Nazareth. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. The Lord anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. Jesus is freeing people from Satan by his blood. And he says, we're witnesses of this. We know, we saw what Jesus did in Galilee and Judea for three years. We watched him, we learned from him, we saw him after he rose from the dead. This is why the apostles' teaching Acts 2.42 is so important to the early church. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And then he, he summarizes the apostolic preaching, the kerygma, and, and he basically says they put him to death by, by hanging him on a tree, putting him on the cross, and God raised him on the third day and made him to appear to us who were chosen to be his witnesses. And he says, verse 41, we saw him. And we ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. This, this proves the physical reality of Jesus' body risen from the dead. And he says, we, he commanded us to preach and testify that he is appointed to be judge. That Jesus is redeemer but also judge. Daniel 7.14 tells us the Son of Man, Jesus, is given authority and glory and sovereign power so that all peoples, nations, and men of every language would worship him. He's the judge. Peter says to him, all the prophets bear witness. They're all speaking of Jesus. And here's what he's been building to. Here's what he's been wanting to tell them. That everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through Jesus' name. That is what he's been building up to as he's speaking to these Gentiles, as he's in a home he never would have walked into before, as God has opened up his heart to the gospel truth and that he needed to, to be freed from his sinful exclusivity so that he would lovingly offer up and serve up the gospel to, to everyone without, without holding back, without excluding anyone he's finding that God does with Gentiles the same thing he did with Jews who came to faith in Christ that he forgives those who believe in Jesus so verse 44 Peter is still talking and all of the sudden the Holy Spirit falls on all who are hearing the word. They all come to faith in Christ. And in response to their faith in Christ, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And the Jewish friends of Peter are amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to Gentiles. They thought that Gentiles were lesser breeds without the law. And they realized that these Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised or offer sacrifices or observe festivals or keep dietary laws and either did the Jews 
And they're hearing them, verse 46 tells us, they're hearing them speak in tongues the mighty deeds of God, the, the praises of God. You know what this is? This is the Gentile Pentecost. God authenticating the gospel message as he gives them the ability to, to speak in other languages the praises of God. So Peter says, verse 47, hey, they need to get baptized. They're believers now. They need to get baptized. They've received the Holy Spirit just like us. And so verse 48 tells us they're baptized in the name of Jesus. It's like Galatians 3 tells us, as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So Peter stays eating and fellowshipping with these fellow believers for some days. Doing something that he's going to get in trouble for with the church in Jerusalem very soon, as we'll see next in chapter 11. He's in hot water with Jerusalem believers when they hear what he did. Well, let's focus on what this passage teaches us. It teaches us two big things. That God speaks and God saves. That God speaks very clearly and saves whomever he chooses. God wants to free you from sinful exclusion so you would serve the gospel to all without reserve. And you need to understand, like Peter did, that God speaks and God saves. God speaks. Cornelius got a message from an angel. Peter got a vision and heard a voice from God. Let's talk about hearing from God. We want to hear from God. We want to know that we're on the right track. We want to know that we're following him appropriately. What does it mean to hear from God? Something hearing from God means hearing an audible voice or getting a vision or having an angel, you know, come to your bedside and talk to you or even uh, going hyper on their feelings and say, well, God just told me this and, and then you go with 100% certainty that this is what you're supposed to do. Biblically speaking, God does not tell us to seek visions and voices. He tells us to obey his word. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you come to a general command in Scripture, you are 100% sure that you are supposed to obey it. But what about the exact specifics? That's, that's what we're looking for. We want clarity on the specifics of life, and the, the Scriptures aren't going to give you exact clarity on everything you're supposed to do. This is where faith and obedience and wisdom come in. It's where they intersect. You may say, well, what about the extraordinary occurrences in the Bible, like here in this passage, where God is speaking audibly to people in dreams and visions and, and through angels? The, the extraordinary. Well, the extraordinary isn't normative. It's not how God ordinarily speaks to people. The infallible, inerrant scripture is the normative way that God speaks. It will never lead you astray. It will never fail to tell you the truth. But we do want clarity. When we are, when we are seeking sincerely the will of God, we want clarity, we want assurance, we want guidance. I can imagine that many of you have something in your life right now where you do not know what you are supposed to do. You don't have a clear answer. You, you don't have a a specific answer to your prayer. So when you're trying to figure things out, you need to engage in three very important disciplines. 
Number one, you need to search the scriptures. You need to get into the word of God and listen to the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We know that the Holy Spirit uses the holy word to make you holy. But you need to search scripture. You need to see what does God say. But you're going to have some general commands that, are, that, are, that can be obeyed, but you, you still don't have the answer to your specific request. So you need to, secondly, persistently pray. Peter and Cornelius received guidance as they pray. We should pray about everything. We should, we should, we should pour our hearts out to God in prayer, asking Him. Search the Scriptures, persistently pray, and also, thirdly, ask for advice. Get godly counsel from other believers. Proverbs talks about seeking the wisdom of the wise. It also talks about if you, if you listen to a, a fool, it's going to lead you into folly. You need to trust the trustworthy people that God has placed in your life who have your best interest in mind. You need to search the scriptures, persistently pl- pray, and ask for advice, and then make a decision. Do something. What seems like the best thing for you to do? What good God-honoring thing do you desire to do? My bottom line on this one is love Jesus the most and do whatever you want. Because if you're loving Jesus the most, like Psalm 37, 4 says, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he's going to give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. It means that you're going to have the desires that please God. Love Jesus the most and do what you want. We are all in the quandary in life of what do I do in this situation? What do I do in that situation? Well, search the scriptures, persistently pray, and then ask for godly advice from people you know to be trustworthy. God speaks. And God saves. God saves whosoever will believe. And don't be thrown by the fact that Cornelius is described as a pretty good guy. Cornelius wasn't a good guy made better by God. Cornelius was a dead sinner in rebellion against God. Some people want to say, well, it's like you're sitting in an easy chair. You're sitting in a really comfy leather chair and you just don't want to get up. When you're not, when you're not a believer, you just don't want to get up. No, you're sitting in a really comfy easy chair you know the, the the best leather chair you can think of and it's a leather coffin because you're dead in the chair and you can't move and you can't do anything to bring yourself to god you don't want to cornelius was a dead sinner rebellion against god and god had moved in his heart so that he would want to seek god and god doesn't usually use an arm bar to to beat us into submission if you're saul he has to But he kindly, mercifully, graciously uses his spirit through his word to open our eyes to the truth. God saves. Jesus saves. You may say today, I am not worth saving. That your sins are weighing so heavily on you, you say, my sins are too too much to bear. I want you to remind you that Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By, whose, by his wounds, you are healed. There are a lot of people who think they're too good, but there are a lot of people who think they're too bad. 
John Donne in 1633 wrote a hymn to God the Father. A couple lines from there. It's the, it's the words of one who feels unworthy of God's grace. He says, Will you forgive that sin which I have won others to sin? I've led others into sin and made my sin their door. He's let other, you've led others into sin and you, you know it and you're guilty. He says, will you forgive that sin which I did shun a year or two but wallowed in a score? Like I, I've shunned it but, I, but I'm, I'm, I, I was in it for a long time. That's words of one who feels unworthy of God's grace in Christ. But he ends the hymn of praise to God, hymn to God the Father, by, by gratefulness uh, uh, because of the Son and his sacrifice. Falls at Christ's feet for mercy. That's what we need to do. Paul describes God's inclusion of Gentiles into Christ's church in Ephesians 2. Here's what he said. At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, both one, and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The the Jews got to be in one spot. The Gentiles had to be in another place. They couldn't come together. And he says, he has created in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and would reconcile both of us to God in one body through the cross, killing the animosity. So he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. And through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, Jew and Gentile alike. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Praise God that God unites what man divides. Ephesians 3, Paul says the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. As we close, let me say this. God gave Peter a vision and he spoke to him in order to reach people that weren't being reached. You're not going to get a vision and a voice on this one, people. We already have the word of God telling us to do that. And God wants to free you of your sin of partiality and exclusivity so that you would lovingly serve the gospel to all. God did not save you to join an exclusive country club but be part of an inclusive rehab hospital for sinners. We're all in rehab in Christ. God is progressively sanctifying us and making us more like him. We say we want to be a church proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. That is costly. It comes at a price. It will cost you your pride and prejudice. And you have to ask yourself, what are the obstacles or the barriers that is preventing me from evangelizing people? The Jews thought Gentiles not worthy to be saved. Do you know anyone that you don't think is worthy to be saved? Someone who was mean to you? Someone in your family or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate, even, maybe even a politician? You need to pray for them. 
Who in your super eight are you not in a good place to share the gospel with? Who are you showing partiality towards? How can you be more merciful? How is God changing your heart towards people? We get very exclusive. There is no class system in the body of Christ. It's not, well, how long have you been here and how much have you given and who do you know? We are not to exclude those whom God includes. We are not to put up barriers. We are not to have prejudice or profiling. If the body of Christ is multi-ethnic, then so should our assembly be to reflect our community. Isn't it interesting? We are okay invading other cultures by sending people far and wide as missionaries with the gospel. But we refuse to walk across the street. We refuse to travel across town to people who are different, be that social status, sins, or smell. God have mercy on me. God have mercy on you. Peter's eyes were open to the gospel truth that Gentiles who were long considered lesser breeds without the law are welcomed in the family of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and that God accomplished redemption for all who believe by treating his son the same way Gentiles were treated. He let him be accursed, forsaken, excluded, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, in our place at the cross by his blood so that we could be included in the redeemed. Lord, thank you that you save people from every nation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Thank you, Lord, that we are growing into this reality and thank you that you are breaking down sinful barriers. We thank you, Lord, that you speak and save, you speak to and save whoever you choose. And thank you, Lord, that you're freeing us to lovingly serve the gospel to all without reserve. For your glory in Christ's name, amen.